Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Well, you're selling me now a gondola on Venus. Except for the sulfuric acid. It's minor detail. If you love Venus, we've got a timeshare to sell you. <laughs> Welcome to Dead Planet Society. This is a podcast where we imagine what it might be like if we were given cosmic powers to rearrange the universe. I'm Chelsea White, Senior News Editor at New Scientist. And I'm Leah Crane, Physics and Space Reporter at New Scientist. Today we're doing something a little bit out of character for us. We're fixing Venus. Yeah, I mean, it needs it, right? Absolutely. Because <laughs> the thing about Venus is it's kind of similar to Earth, right? It's a similar size. It's sort of a similar distance from the sun. But it's just truly horrible there. <laughs> um, it's incredibly hot. It's got these clouds of sulfuric acid. There's just volcanoes everywhere. I mean, it's awful, right? Yeah, it's um, very unpleasant. And we want to make it suck less. We've got a few ideas on how to do that. We might get rid of some of the atmosphere, which is making it so bad. Or maybe even go through the whole process of terraforming to make it a little more like Earth. Right. So we might, uh, I don't know, set off some of those volcanoes or smash another planet into Venus, our favorite thing, <laughs> or maybe just move it. Maybe just tug Venus out into another place in the solar system. Yeah, I think we should do all of that. Okay. <laughs> and in our attempts to make Venus suck less, we brought back Paul Byrne, who is a planetary scientist at Washington University in St. Louis. So he told us why Venus sucks and what happened to Venus to make it so unpleasant for life there. Okay, so I, to be clear, it is it is potentially, yes, sure, it's unpleasant. It doesn't suck, though, okay? So I take this <laughs> exception. There's only one body in the solar system that sucks. But Venus is hard. Venus is pretty hard. And, and we actually don't know why. There's two leading reasons. But before I even get there, it's worth talking about how it is hard, how it is difficult. The surface temperature at Venus is the same as a self-cleaning oven. Now, often when people describe stuff in popular literature, they describe it as it's hot enough to melt lead. I personally don't do any soldering. I have no intuition for what it takes to melt lead. But I do know that when your oven is in the self-cleaning mode, you don't touch it. That's the average <laughs> normal temperature at the surface of Venus. And here's the thing. It's the same temperature during the day and during the night. And it's the same temperature at the pole as it is at the equator. Right? The whole thing is around the same temperature everywhere. But in addition to this pretty bad temperature, there happens to be really, really high pressure. It's nine, basically, it's about 90 times more pressure than room pressure on Earth. Oh, my goodness. So it's equivalent to about 900 meters or about a half a mile under the ocean on Earth. That's the pressure. So it's pretty bad. Can I ask, why is it the same temperature during the day and at night? 
because the atmosphere is so thick and the atmosphere moves relatively slowly. Although here's the other thing, the atmosphere actually rotates around the planet much faster than the planet itself rotates. But there's so much air that it's had a long time to basically even out the temperature everywhere. Yeah, it sounds really miserable. Yeah, it's not it's not great. Although although let's just just to step back for a sec, it is also worth bearing in mind that the only other place in the solar system that is room temperature and pressure is the Venus clouds. Oh. At around 55 kilometers or at 30 odd miles up, it is room temperature and pressure in Venus. That does sound lovely. Okay. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> the, there are sulfuric acid clouds. You can't have it all. Right? But if if you 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 put on some protective suit and you put on a rebreather because the atmosphere is 97% CO2. But you could go out in shirt sleeves if your shirt sleeves were... Were in a suit. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, you, it wouldn't be a vacuum. It would be quite balmy. You okay. could stand there on, the, on the, the railing of a gondola of a giant airship 55 kilometers up. And it would be about the same as being two or three kilometers above the surface on Earth. Quite pleasant. All right. Well, you're selling me now a gondola on Venus. Except for the sulfuric acid. It's minor detail. <laughs> okay, now that we've covered why Venus sucks, let's fix it. Okay, are we talking about science fiction style spacesuits being a reality? Or are we talking about terraforming? I would just want folks listening to this to put this in context. That science fiction is so much closer to us than <laughs> we're going to terraform a planet. That is magic. But if we were to do it, Venus would be a better choice because the gravity of Venus is 82% the gravity of Earth. It would be not all that dissimilar. It's not much off the size of Earth. The horizon would be a sensible distance away. We would be able to live there and everyone would be a little more athletic by a little bit, but not by much. And it would be a pretty good place. It's another Earth. Now, the way you would do it is, yeah, you'd have to try and scrub that atmosphere. Now, I think Human-driven climate change is going to require us making a huge number of fundamental changes to society. There's no way around that. But it also seems we can't escape the idea that we're going to use some sort of technological means to fix it as well. Now, that relying entirely on that is greenwashing and is a moral hazard. But it's hard to avoid some kind of technological capability. And one of those things we're going to have to develop is some kind of carbon sequestration technology where we draw carbon out of the atmosphere and do something with it, turn it into building materials or whatever then perhaps it's not such a stretch that, say, in a thousand years, that technology would evolve to the point where we could deploy it autonomously onto the surface of Venus, and it could begin to suck the carbon out of the atmosphere. Send some little scrubber bots to, you know, roam around? Yeah, many millions of them. It also might take several thousand years. So good luck getting anyone to sign up to a project. You know, the cathedrals were difficult to build in Europe for the last millennium, but they only took a few hundred years. This thing would, would take a very, very long time. But that's probably how you do it. If you suck the CO2 out, you would be taking out... Because here's the thing. There's about the same amount of water vapor in the atmosphere of Venus as there is on Earth. It's just proportionally much, much less because there's proportionally much, much more air. But you wouldn't have that hard a time. There's some nitrogen there. There's a little bit of water vapor there. You might have to add oxygen. But... You could probably do that. I think that would be a lot easier than having to try and somehow give Mars an atmosphere when it has no ability to hold on to one. Right. That was that was really my next question was if, if we can just get the bad stuff out or if it needs like full dialysis. <laughs> um, but it sounds like we can if we can get rid of all that carbon dioxide, that would be a step. That would not. I, I have not gone any 
you know, we may hear from someone after they hear this who's gone through some exhaustive set of calculations. I have not done those calculations. But I can tell you qualitatively, if you pull off the CO2, there's enough mass at Venus. It's about 80%, 82% Earth mass. So there's quite a lot of planet there. It's going to be able to hold on to a lot of atmosphere. A big question we've had for a long time is to what extent is a magnetic field required for an atmosphere? And certainly the kind of prevailing view, I think, from Mars is that Mars doesn't have an atmosphere because it has no magnetic field. And so solar weather just strips it away. Venus has no magnetic field and it has 90 times more atmosphere than Earth does. So I don't think a magnetic field is all that important. And in fact, depending on the species, meaning the chemistry, the magnetic field can actually help accelerate the loss of some parts of an atmosphere, which we now know that at Mars. It's probably much more to do with how big the planet is. And what we also know to about roughly the same order of magnitude is that the rate of atmosphere loss at Venus, Earth, and Mars per year is about the same. The difference between Earth and Venus and Mars is that Mars is tiny. Its mantle has degassed. That is to say that the stuff that was inside it has largely come out. And most of that stuff came out a really long time ago. So even if you were to somehow put some sort of science fiction, super duper magnetic shield protector thing in front of Mars, that's not going to do anything because Mars's ability to have an atmosphere has gone. It has ability to, to vent an atmosphere onto, out of the interior, onto the surface, has ended. In the case of Venus, yeah, sure, it's losing a lot of atmosphere, but it also seems to yeah. be capable of replenishing it somehow. How do you replenish an atmosphere? You have volcanoes. We already know volcanoes are really important on Venus. They might actually be the reason it's so horrible. Uh, if a bunch of volcanoes went off all at once, they could have thrown Venus into this runaway greenhouse effect. And that's definitely plausible, right? Because Venus has so many more volcanoes than I ever thought it would. <laughs> right? Yeah. Aren't there like thousands? Yeah, Paul and his colleague Rebecca Hahn counted them and there's at least... 85,000 volcanoes. Wild. Yeah, but cool, right? Because that means we have a lot of power to work with. I want to emphasize, volcanoes giveth and taketh away. They are the very means by which we have an atmosphere and oceans today. That comes out of the interior. But sometimes if they get a little too energetic, clearly they can destroy all the climate. Like, calm down, guys. Let's take it easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the thing is, in some respects, once you pull down the CO2, you might expect that Venus is able to stay relatively habitable, relatively clement. Um, it might be the wrong mix of gases. It might still be a CO2 atmosphere, but one bar yeah. would be a lot easier to walk around in if CO2, <laughs> because then you need a rebreather, than 90, which is like, no, we don't send divers down that deep. And the temperature would also be a lot cooler. Now, you might need to go and do a lot of other chemical changes to the atmosphere. I don't know how you'd begin to do that. But I, I, as a first step, Venus is going to be an easier target to terraform and will leave you with a much, much more Earth-like world. There's a big part of me that just wants to bring a giant cosmic needle and lance the atmosphere. Uh, I do wonder if it would be plausible to smash something into it so hard that a bunch of the atmosphere gets thrown away. Paul had some ideas on that. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So we call that impact loss, impact induced loss. And so if you think of an atmosphere, it's a gas, right? It's a mixture of gases, but all gases are very small solid objects, small particles. And they behave and follow physics that we pretty well understand, certainly at Earth. And there are different mechanisms that make stuff more or less likely to leave. And if you smack something into an object fast and powerful enough, you probably will dissipate quite a bit of the atmosphere. And certainly over the impact site, you will expose it to space for a very short period of time before the wind can carry it back in. 
I mean, these are these are scales of processes that you know we have not yet seen in a movie because they are too difficult to visualize, but would be catastrophic. It just depends on what, if your objective is purely to smack something into something else, cosmic billiard style. Sure, have at it. You might spend quite a bit of time, though, depending on how big the impactor is, uh, with quite a bit of molten stuff on the surface of Venus. So if it's a place you want to go and put people onto later on, you're going to have to wait a while. You might have to wait several million years for that to happen. <laughs> so it just really depends what your priorities are. I mean, you got to break some eggs and make an omelet. <laughs> I feel like- I'm not arguing against this. I'm just saying, if you wanted to terraform Venus, this is not a good approach. If you wanted to smack something to Venus to get a cool video... This would be a way you could do that. I'm curious also if there's any effect if Venus isn't where it is. Like if we drag Venus somehow further away from the sun, would that help with our endeavor here? It's not straightforward. You you pull it out double the distance and it's half the temperature. It's not that straightforward. But yeah, it would probably it would probably get a little cooler. And in doing so, then it might actually get a little less pressure, which would help. But now I'm thinking of combining Leia's idea of like, first of all, you'd need something big, like a mega nuke. I don't know. But if we could, could we nuke it hard no. enough to move it? No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what if I think bigger than a nuke? Like, what if we take Mercury and slam it into Venus? Okay. Okay. So, so. Could I move it out far enough to cool it down and also you know, do what we talked about earlier with like uh, setting in motion some of this loss of these gases. So so this gets really hard. If you smashed Venus and Mercury together, a lot would depend on how you did it and how fast they were going. Were they going head first? Were they kind of coming together at the same speed? Was it a glancing blow or a direct blow? If you put the two of them in full speed ahead, like two trains hitting each other, you would vaporize the two of them and make a new planet. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to sort of Mercurius. <laughs> yeah, you'd have you you'd have you'd have Venus. <laughs> so that that would be. I don't know what the objective would be. I'm again. I'm not advocating against any of these. Actually, I'm just saying sure. you're not going to have two planets at the end. You're going to have one new one that's about the size of the two of them combined. Now we have a special offer for our listeners. You can get four weeks of New Scientist free, followed by a monthly subscription price of nine ninety nine. That's in dollars or pounds. You'll get unlimited access to our website and app, plus subscriber benefits, including newsletters, essential guides, and invitations to subscriber-only events. Go to newscientist.com slash DPS offer now to get your free month of New Scientist. And if you're in London, join us at New Scientist Live on October 8th, where we'll be recording a live episode of Dead Planet Society. The event will take place across the weekend of October 7th to 8th, and it's sure to be jam-packed with fascinating talks and hands-on experiences. We'd love to see you there. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We're back, and we wondered if it might be easier to, instead of chucking one big planet at Venus, throw lots of little stuff at it. Ooh, yeah, rain down. And if each of these big big impacts, say, blew off 1% of the atmosphere, then you have 99 of them to blow down 99% of the atmosphere. So what we're saying is go to Venus with an automatic weapon that fires nukes. No, nukes are too small. An automatic weapon that fires at large asteroids. Like a t-shirt gun with asteroids in it. Yeah, like a potato gun, but the potatoes are asteroids. Correct. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just and you pop them. You probably got to do some maths to figure out which angle, blah blah blah. Right, you know, you fire the few, first few, you get the hang of it, see how much destruction you cause. But so, but this would help us with the atmosphere. But would it move the planet? No, I don't. Not meaningfully, because think about it. It's like so. It's the idea. You know, you know this. I don't know. I, I grew up watching a lot of action movies that were stupid, but guilty pleasures of mine. And in particularly in eighties movies, when someone got shot by a gun, they flew out a window. And like, that's just not how physics works, right? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, if, if we wanted to move Venus, we would have to hit it with something going disproportionately fast. Now, by the way, I don't know how we build the asteroid potato gun because there's an enormous amount of energy involved in the motion of these objects. So we're going to have to figure that out too. This is Dead Planet Society. We get the, it, we have it. It exists. It's ours. Okay, fine. This thing is, is okay. But the point is, there's a whole pile of, of potential energy in this thing now, right? Because these things are spinning and moving. So, yeah, you could probably angle it a certain way and position it a certain way in Venus's orbit. But the way to get Venus to move is to speed up its orbit, basically. That's the way we need to do it. Because orbit is a function of speed, not altitude, right? You can orbit Earth a meter above the ground if you were going fast enough. <laughs> now, I don't think you should do that. But, you know, you could. <laughs> so that is to say, we would need to change Venus's orbital speed around the sun. That's how we would pull it out. So we would need to basically, if we hit it fast enough with enough things from behind in the direction it's going, that might be enough to basically increase the orbital altitude it has. Mm -hmm. But then our gun would have to have zero mass because we don't want our gun attracting it backwards into in its orbit, slowing it down. Well, yeah, the gun raises a lot of issues of its own, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but we could also put yeah. those, uh, remember those planet moving rockets in the wandering Earth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually better because, you, because you, could, you, could, you wouldn't need a gun then. You would just go to the asteroid belt with many, many automatic systems, and then you would just put rocket engines on these things, and then you would, you would fly them into the inner solar system. Drive them into it, yeah. Yeah, so you wouldn't need a gun. You just need basically like, it'd be like, you know, a big car park and then suddenly these things would start to depart into the inner solar system. And you hope to God that your your guidance navigation is accurate because if they confuse one large rocky world with the other, you're getting fired. So I do, I have reservations about the moving Venus thing because I kind of feel like moving it near to Earth could wreck Earth. So here's the thing, right? Right now, Venus and, and Earth don't have a huge amount to do with each other, right? And it's true that if you were to move Venus farther out, potentially even beyond Earth, or even you could move into Earth's orbit, as long as they're far from each other, they don't, it, it won't really matter. Could they equilibrate, like with Venus exactly opposite us from the sun, on the sun, on the same orbit? Venus and L4? Yeah, I guess we could. I don't know what that would do to Earth. I don't know how much Venus would have any impact on Earth compared to the unbelievably massive gravitational effect of the sun. I don't think it would have much of an effect to it. Let's bring Venus here. I want I want twin Earths, please. 
So if we did that, we could. So here's the thing: if it were, if Venus were the other side of the sun to us the whole time, we wouldn't ever see it. That's okay. We could still go there. But you know what? There are these things called Lagrange points, and the Lagrange points are these places where you could put things that are gravitationally, relatively speaking, stable. That's where, for example, L two, the second Lagrange point, is where the Webb telescope is. Well, Lagrange points four and five are 60 degrees before and after an object measured from the, the central thing, in this case, the sun, along the same orbit. So you could potentially put, and there's there's even a bunch of small asteroids that trail and lead Earth in Earth's orbit at these two Lagrange points. You could put Venus there. And let the asteroids hit it. That would be an added benefit. I think we've just solved Venus. <laughs> Bring it on over to our neighborhood. It'll turn into Earth. We're going to put it at L4. Yeah. It also would make it a lot easier to get to, which is also going to save some money. Although clearly, if we have the space potato effect, we have no issue with money. This is obviously a post-scarcity society if we can afford to send 10,000 asteroids into Venus. I think it sounds like it's worth it. Every penny. I think it is too. I'm here for the jobs that moving Venus will create. Can you believe we've got a solid a solid campaign platform right here? <laughs> I don't know what I'm running for, like solar system queen? Yeah, president of Earth. Yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, until we dominate the position of the planets in the solar system, can we truly say that we are guardians of our world? No. Yeah, exactly. We should move No, those. Earth number one. Earth number one. <laughs> Oh, I love it so much. So we started out trying to fix Venus, and we ended up making ourselves the supreme monarchs of the solar system. Sounds like a resounding success to me. (laughs) Thank you to Paul Byrne for joining us, and to all of you for listening to Dead Planet Society. We've had some great suggestions for cosmic chaos that we might undertake from listeners so far. Lee Devereaux from Baltimore wrote in to ask what would happen if we were able to transport the rings of Saturn and have those rings around Earth instead. He asked, would it just be really cool to see rings around our planet or if there might be more dire consequences? I'm guessing it's the latter. (laughs) That's definitely (laughs) one for us to look into in the future. Thanks, Lee. If you have any questions to add to our list, our email is deadplanets at newscientist.com. Plus, on October 8th, we'll be recording a live episode of Dead Planet Society at New Scientist Live in London. You can find out more about NS Live and get your tickets at live.newscientist.com. And if you just want to chat about any of our episodes so far, hit us up on Twitter, or X, I suppose. I'm at Chels White, and Leia is at Down Here on Earth. See you next time. It's almost certain that Earth will turn to Venus. It's almost certain. And the reason is because the sun is getting brighter. And it's probably going to happen relatively soon. Tomorrow. Yeah, it's actually next week. So I get your stuff in order now, right? We're going to have, we're going to have an amazing summer, right? The oceans are going to boil. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.